Great job, guys. I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, open up to Matthew chapter 16, and we'll see how far the Lord will, will take us this morning. Jackie has his plans, but they don't always work out. Have you experienced that yourself? Not all the time is our plans his plans. And actually, as we take a look at uh, Matthew chapter 16, that's what's been going on. Jesus brought his disciples to a place where he specifically asked them to make a confession of faith. Specifically, he, he came and he, he went to Caesarea Philippi, and he stood there before all these temples of all these other gods, and he said to his disciples, first, who do men say that I am? And they gave a variety of answers. Some say this, some say that, some say this. But then he broke it down specific. Specifically, he said, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Peter said, you are the, the Christ, the Son of the living God who has come into the world. And the Lord says, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven revealed that to you. And then Jesus began to say something that was kind of mind-blowing for them. What he said that was mind-blowing for them was, he said to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised the third day. Now by them making the proclamation that you are the Christ, the Messiah, you're the Mashiach, you're the King that we've been waiting for since the beginning. Moses prophesied about the King. If you ask the rabbis today, rabbis will say the very first scripture that points to the coming of the Messiah is in Genesis chapter 1 when the Lord said, let there be light. That that concept was born, was birthed, that there's a king coming. The king is coming. And so they've been looking their entire history. And here he is. Jesus very clearly defined himself to them as their Messiah. But they didn't understand. They couldn't reconcile scripture. When they would read the scripture, they liked to avoid the ones that were unpleasant. Anybody ever read the Bible like that? Like they would come to a certain section of scripture in Isaiah chapter 53 and they would say, well, you know, we're not really going to read too into this one. The suffering servant, the, and in Daniel chapter 9 where it prophesies that Messiah would be cut off or put to death. Well, we're not going to read into that. We just like the ones that say he's a king and he's coming to make everything right. So they hold on to that promise. The Bible tells that Abraham held on to the promise of God for his future. And it gave him hope for today. You live your life like that? Because it's important. It's a vital step in our Christian walk. To learn to hold on to God's promise for our future. And allow that to give us hope for today. A lot of times we look around and we struggle with finding the ability to have hope for today. How am I going to have hope for today? All these things are going sideways in my life. Well, the Lord says, hold on to my promise for your future. What was that? Well, you know, it all comes birth out of Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29, 11. A lot of people like to put that verse up on their fridge, right? We talked about that before. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Oh, that's it. God's got a good plan for my life. And I'm going to, things are going to work out okay. And I'm going to hold on to that promise and move forward. But listen, you don't quite understand it. If that's your view. Because you have to have the context of when it was given. 
The entire nation of Israel had been disrupted and conquered by an enemy. Every man, woman, and child in the, in the country had been taken out of their home. Wives separated from their husbands. Children separated from their families. Put in different lines. Hooked up to chains to make a long walk to Babylon. And as they walked to Babylon, what they had in their future was slavery. And while they're standing in those lines, and while they're being chained up, and while all this is happening, and fathers are saying, I don't know where my kids are, and moms are saying, I don't know where any of my family is. God said to the prophet Jeremiah, go down to Ramah, and you tell them. Those who are in those lines, filled with despair, ready to give up, you tell them. I know what I'm doing. You see, that's what that phrase means. I know my thoughts for you. And many times we feel like God has no idea what he's doing. Lord? Just like the disciples felt here. What do you mean you're going to go to Jerusalem and die? What do you mean you're, that, that all this stuff we've been looking forward to isn't going to happen yet? What, how can that be? In Jeremiah 29, Lord said, I know what I'm doing. Then he said, my plans for you are good, not evil. That means... God knows what he's doing in your life, and I don't care what you've experienced. And there have been some horrible things that people have experienced in the past and in the present. But God says, I know my plan for you is good. And he says that good plan that he has for you is so that you will have a future. Now stop looking at your future as though that is some prize you're going to unwrap here. The prize of my future is not the house I live in, the car I drive, or the money in my bank account. The prize for my future is an eternity with Jesus Christ, my Savior. That's my prize. He is my future. Period. So I'm going to hold on to God's promise for my future. The promise of the coming King. The promise of His fulfillment of Scripture. And that gives me hope for today. That's how I get through today. That's how I get through the hard things I don't understand. I lean back on what I do know. What do I know? That God's plans for me are good. Not easy. Good. And they're to give me a future with Him. And that future with Him gives me hope. Now, hope for today. But the disciples don't understand that. Their whole future is wrapped up in the kingdom that Jesus Christ had come to set on earth. And they knew that they were going to rule and reign next to him. And pretty soon, he was going to take control, throw the Romans out, and everything was going to be okay. But right after their profession of faith, right after they say to him, We believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, he told them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested, and I'm going to be beaten, and I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to die. And just like many of us, they were experiencing their first disappointment with God. What? God, that's not my plan. Peter's the one who speaks up as Jesus begins to say this. It says, Peter took him aside. He took the Lord aside. We talked a little bit about that that, that last time. He, he grabbed him and he, Lord, I, I need to have a few words with you. If we're honest, most of us have had those prayers, haven't we? God, aren't you watching? Or don't you pay attention? They just lined me up and hooked me to these chains and I've lost everything and everything's gone and you say this is good? 
And the Lord says, I know what I'm doing in your life. My plans for you are good. But they're not good to make sure that everything in your life is comfortable. They're good to make sure you arrive to your future. That you come to Him. That you win the prize. That you spend eternity with Him. So Peter takes him aside. Lord, I need to straighten you out. And it says, Peter rebuked him. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. And that's exactly, a lot of times that's where we get, guys. We have a hard time dealing with bad things. Otherwise, uh, some of the best-selling books are, are, you know, how to understand the disappointments of God. How to understand, how to reconcile when God doesn't do things the way he, we thought He should. When He doesn't heal when He thinks He should heal. When He doesn't provide the way we thought He should provide. When, he, when, when life has disappointments. We have a hard time with that. So did Peter. Lord, what are you talking about? No, no, no. It's not going to be that way. And listen, the Lord said to Peter something that we have to take to heart. Listen to what He said. Not just the first part, get behind me, Satan, which means... Peter was listening to the wrong people right now. Get behind me, Satan. But then, you are an offense for me. You're a stumbling block. Why? For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. The Bible says that our citizenship is not on earth. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're no longer a citizen of earth. You are an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are in enemy territory. The God of this age. He, he is here. He's in this place. This is His. Until Jesus takes it back and sets up His kingdom, which they were looking for. But until that time, we have been transferred. Lock, stock, and barrel. We are changed over. What am I talking about? Listen, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you become metamorphosized into the kingdom of His light. You become a new creation. You're no longer what you were. You are what God is making you. And it's occurring inside of you. It's occurring inside. It's happening in your, in your life. God is doing this work. And as, as Peter is coming to the Lord and he says this, the Lord lays out, where are you anchored? Are you anchored here? Are you anchored to your stuff? Are you anchored to the idols like the, the people were when Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Are you anchored to all those things that pull you down to this place? Or are you anchored in heaven? You know, that only becomes more viable to me the more people that I love are there ahead of me. Heaven becomes a little bit more my home every time. Every time I know that there's Someone that I want to be with, that I want to see, that I want to, you know, continue to have a relationship. Folks, we are eternal. You will exist forever in one of two places. Either you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you experience forever with Him, or you feel you, you, you put your faith and trust in yourself or some other God, and you spend eternity in the absence of Him. Only two choices. Jesus is laying out here, where are you anchored? Peter, you're anchored to the earth. You're anchored to the kingdom. You're anchored to all the troubles of life going away. 
And if your anchor is in all that stuff, desiring this place to, to meet a need in your life, to feel you on the inside, to say, well, I find satisfaction finally here, then you're going to be disappointed with God all the time. Because this place is not your home. Listen, Abraham said that he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God, that had foundations, 12 foundations, the scripture tells us in the book of Revelation. That's a city that God will build for our future. So what do we do to get through today? We hold on to his promise for our future, and it gives me hope for today. Peter doesn't know that. Peter just knows that this is not working out the way he'd like to see it. He wants the Romans booted out. He wants things all to fall in line. Lord, you're not going to do it this way. And so Jesus tells him, when we have that disappointment with God, we're anchored to this place. We're anchored to our stuff. We're anchored to those things that want to hold us down, hold us back. And folks, God wants to give you wings so you can fly. He wants to, he wants to cut you loose. But we're allowing this world to chain us, to hold us down. So Jesus said to his disciples in verse 24, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He tells us what it means to be his disciple. What does it mean to follow the Lord? He says, if anyone would come after me. That simply means if anybody wants to follow me which is the whole concept of being a Christian, Christ-like, living our life after the example of Christ. He says the first thing we have to do is deny ourselves. Deny ourselves. We are the most selfish beings on the entire face of the earth. Humans. So that is in itself not a simple concept. For example, if you think, yes, I have denied myself, you probably haven't. If you want to know, ask the car following you. Just pull over and he'll pull over. Say, excuse me, do you think I'm selfless? And he'll probably say, man, you drive like you own the whole road. And that everybody else has all the time in the world to follow behind you. Well, they do. You shouldn't be speeding anyway. So I am doing my part to make sure that you don't speed. Whatever. The scripture lays out for us this concept. Deny yourself. Listen, he tells us how to do it in the very next phrase. First he says, deny yourself. And let's hold on to that for a minute and go to phrase number two. Phrase number two, take up your cross. Now listen, the cross wasn't this pretty little piece of jewelry you wore around your neck. And everybody go, oh, that's a cool cross or that tattoo you have on your back or your shoulder or wherever you might have it. It's, it's not that. The, the cross was a tool of death. Taking up your cross, folks, was a one-way trip. Do you understand that? If you picked up your cross, you were dying. So when Jesus says, take up your cross, the idea is, I am dying. I am dying to my dreams, my hopes, my things, the things I thought were going on in my life. And that's a hard thing to do, but it's the first step in denying yourself. And right now, some people are saying, man, I don't have to die to my hopes and dreams. 
You don't. It's your choice. You can live for yourself or you can live for the Lord. But you can't do both at the same time. I do one or the other. Peter, he's living for himself right now. He wants the kingdom of God. Far be it from you, Lord. And the Lord said, get behind me, Satan. That's pretty harsh. That's just, This guy been walking with him for three years. We all love Peter. But he had that attitude. Listen, if I am going to deny myself, I have to realize when I take up my cross, I'm dying. I'll give you the best example of it. When my, my third son was born, I had a ton of hopes and dreams for him. Every dad does. If he says he don't, we have to talk about lying. Every dad has hopes and dreams for his kids, plans, things he wants them to do. Maybe he wants to relive all the things he ever did wrong. It happens. I had hopes and dreams for my son. All these things that his life was going to be and how it was going to work out and where he was going to go. And I, I, got, I had it for every one of them. No different from my third son. And when he was three years old, I came to the doctors and the doctor said, We need to let you know that your son is autistic. Now I have a choice. I can say, no, I will not die to my hopes and dreams. But that's not living in the real world. Or I can say, all those plans I thought I had for my son are not going to happen now. My trip, I got on a plane and I thought I was going to Hawaii. It turns out I was going to the Philippines. It's a different destination. Not worse, just different. Just because I don't have my hopes and dreams is not bad. Because God says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. God has a better plan for your life than your hopes and dreams. Do you believe it? Man, it's hard. It's hard to wrap your mind around the God, the transcendent God of the universe has a plan for my life. And it's better than my hopes and dreams. Jesus said, if you'll come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Just come. Come along with me. The plans that I have for you are so great. Romans chapter 8 says, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 8 tells us not death, not the sword, not pestilence, that sickness, not starvation, not any created thing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus your Lord. It's either true or it's a lie. If it's true, then we ought to live our lives like it is and say, you know what, Lord, I can die to my dreams and live for you. Because your plans for me are good. And make the decision that I'm willing to walk and I'm willing to go. He goes on in verse 25, he says, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Our lives, it's like trying to hold on to water in your hands. It never works. The tighter you hold, it's still leaking out between your fingers, right? That's the way life is. That's the way it is. The moment we were born, it started to leak away. And every day after, it has continued to leak. And we can focus on, I'm going to squeeze my hands and I'm really going to make sure that I hold on to this as long as I can. 
But the Lord says, you desire to save your life, to hold on to it, it's just going to continue leaking out. It's just going to go. You can't stop it. But if you stop worrying about holding on to all those things for yourself, and rather live your life for the Lord, he says, oh, you're going to find it. You're going to find what's been missing in your life. Was not that new car, the new house, or the bank account. What was missing in your life was that real, vibrant relationship with your Savior who loves you. That's what was missing. And when you find it, you find it when you stop trying to hold on to all those things. Stop trying to make your plans for your life happen. And just allow God to direct and to lead your life. Allow God to speak His truth into your life. Trust him and stop thinking that he in his masterful plan is trying to destroy me. He's not. He's not. He's trying to take you to a place where you can experience the greatest satisfaction. But we all want what we want now, don't we? I like instant gratification. When, when I, that's, thank God I live in the United States of America. Because I don't know what I'd do someplace else. If I want a monster, I just go get one. You see, I have water today. So obviously I don't want a monster. Yeah, something like that. Anyways, the idea is we want what we want and we want it now. God says, listen to the future I have for you. There's not a person who reads the book of Revelation in the future that God has for us and says, you know, I don't, want to, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be in a place where there's no more tears or sorrow or pain. I don't want to be in a place where there's no more death or no more goodbyes. I don't want to be in a place that, that has perfect peace all the time. Everything that we need right there. In our I don't want to be in a place like that. The Lord says, I have a place like that for you. And my plans for your life are to get you there. Will you trust me? Will you allow me to work? Will you allow me to move in your life? Will you allow me to do the things that I want to do? Because if you squeeze your life, the water's still leaking out, right? But if you let that life be poured out on Christ, you're going to find that deep satisfaction that's been missing in your life. He goes on to say, so what profit is it to a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Some people are willing to trade all of that, all of that peace with the Lord Jesus Christ for an opportunity to have what they want now here. Folks, the children of Israel did that. The children of Israel, remember I told you how they they were beaten by an army and then they were taken out of their homes and they were put in chains to go to Babylon? Folks, that follows more than 400 years of them wanting what they want and not caring at all about what God had to say about anything they were doing. And this is what God told them. God told them, guys, you're on the wrong road. You're not listening to this. You're not, you're not following my plan for your life. And the, the road that you're taking leads to captivity. The road that you're taking leads to bondage. And they must have believed that 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 happens to everybody else, but it won't happen to me. You ever heard that from people before? Oh, you know, know, other people struggle with alcohol, but it won't happen to me. I'm just just a social drinker. Sure. Whatever. I can tell you where the road leads. 
I can tell you where that goes. Ultimately, we have the choice to make. The children of Israel chose the path that led them to that place where they were in chains. And God came to them and said, guys, I know my plan for you. It's good. Just trust me. Allow me to work. Allow me to move. Stop trying to squeeze your life and let the water run out, but rather pour your life out on me and watch the satisfaction that I bring. Because if you're living to be profited in this world, what good is it to have everything there is here and lose your soul? Paul said when we stand before God, when we finally get to that place, when we look at His beautiful face and we see Him, when we're in that place... He said that it will not even be worthy to be compared, mentioned in the same sentence, the struggles or disappointments we've had in our life with the glory that is revealed in us through Him. Not even worthy to be mentioned in the same sentence. That there's such a blessing that we'll have in Him when we see Him in His glory, when we're there in that place. And he wants to encourage us that that's where we want to set our anchor. We want to set our anchor to heaven. We want to set our anchor to him, to Jesus Christ, and not to the stuff, not to the things, not to the the way life goes on here, because life here is hard. And it's worthy to be lived. And it's worthy to be lived to the utmost with everything that you have. Just don't live it for yourself. Just live it for Christ. Because he's the only truly other-centered person who ever walked on the face of this earth. The only one who ever truly thought of others above himself. And he was the only one truly who could have said, I'm transcendent above everyone else. But he lived his life when the multitudes came to him and they needed healing. Where was he? Healing them. Well, what if he was tired? He was healing them. Even when he tried to go away to a mountain to pray, they followed him. But what does the scripture say? Jesus was annoyed at the multitudes? No, it says he was filled with compassion for the multitudes. Compassion of our Savior. The compassion of the Lord. Selfless. If any would come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross. One-way trip. To death and follow me jesus promises us he goes on to say in verse uh the end of verse 26 or what will a man give in exchange for his soul what are you willing to trade for the son of man will come in the glory of his father with his angels and then he will reward each one according to his works listen he says the son will come will come the bible was full of promises of the coming of messiah messiah came exactly when messiah was foretold to come in daniel chapter 9 exactly to the day jesus walked into jerusalem on the day daniel said in daniel chapter 9 that he would come and then when jesus was going away he said if i go i go to prepare a place for you And I will come again and bring you unto myself, that where I am, there you will be also. An eternal home with him. It's a promise. He's kept them all. He's going to keep that one. 
This is the promise he says to hold on to. This is a promise he says to be anchored to. What's that promise that he says? Listen, he lays it out for us. The Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and his reward will be with him. His reward. That promise that we need to hold on to for our future that gives us hope for a day. That thing that we want to be anchored to, that doesn't set up within us the mind that Peter had that said, no, no, not so, Lord. But rather says, yes, Lord. I trust you. It's your plan. I'm waiting for you. I'm eagerly awaiting that day when you call me. When you call my name. I'm eagerly looking forward to the promise of God. With anticipation. Man, that keeps us anchored to Him, to the things of God, rather than anchored to the things that cause us to stumble. Then the Lord goes on in verse 28, and He says, Now after six days, Jesus, or I'm sorry, verse 28, Assuredly I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. There are some that will not taste of death until they see the Son of Man. Man, Jesus is going to give these three guys a revelation like they, they, they're going to talk about it wherever they write. In fact, John, who was with him, talks about it in John chapter 1, verse 14. And we beheld his glory, John says. Man, we beheld, oh, it was amazing to look at the glory of the Lord. Full of grace and truth, he says in John chapter 1. Peter writes about it in, in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, he goes on to tell us, Man, we did not follow cunningly devised fables, but we were eyewitnesses of His glory. Man, we saw His glory. We saw Him. We saw Him not like He is. We saw Him like He, he will be when He sets up His kingdom. We saw Him in that way. In fact, it goes on in chapter 17, after six days, to, to tell us what was going on, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. That phrase, I want you to just chew on that phrase for a minute. The, the Greek word is metamorphosize. The same word that we, we transliterate, metamorphosize. We know what a metamorphosis is, right? The best example of it is a caterpillar and a butterfly, right? We see that caterpillar, but we think, is that really a caterpillar? If you look at the DNA of the caterpillar, is it a caterpillar DNA? No, it's a butterfly. But where is the change taking place? Inside. Inside, huh? Hold on to that concept. Jesus was metamorphosized before them. If you will, the veil of his flesh is pulled back. And the glory is revealed, the, she the Shekinah, the Kabod, the glory of Almighty God. It tells us how it looks. Listen, he says, he was transformed before them. His, his face shone like the sun. In Luke it says, his face shone like the sun in its brightness. Like if you were to look in the middle of the sun, you know that part that's just super white, and, and then when you look away, all you see is dots everywhere. That his face was like that. That his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became as white as light. Man, it just was blinding. This incredible brilliance. This incredible purity. This incredible thing that they saw. 
But listen, as we consider this, as we understand this that's taking place, this, this metamorphosis that Jesus shows these three disciples, that he says, here I am in my glory. You don't have to wander. You don't have to... Listen, let me just show you. Here I am. Almighty God revealed to their eyes. So they would see. So that they could see that, that amazing thing that's taking place. But this word, this word... This word that we look at, this word that, that speaks of being transfigured or being metamorphosized. There's two other places in Scripture that it's mentioned, and I think it's vital for us to look at it to understand what's going on. So I encourage you with me. Why don't you turn to Romans chapter 12. Just turn right in your Bibles from Matthew, and you're going to come to Romans. Romans chapter 12 It's a section of Scripture that we are all familiar with. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, think about that just for a second with me. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Another way of saying that would be, don't hold on to your life, you'll lose it, but give your life away and you'll find it. Isn't it? Give yourselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord. And listen to verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be transformed. Be metamorphosized. Change from the inside out. A lot of people might look at me and say, man, that's a caterpillar if I ever seen one. Literally, that word metamorphosize, it, it means that your true DNA, the true nature within you, breaks out. The true nature within you bursts forth onto the scene. Just like Jesus there on the Mount of Transfiguration, his true nature, his deity burst forth. The scripture lays out that you and I are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And that there is a new nature within us. That new nature within us. He says, don't put on a mask so you look like everybody else on the earth. Don't be conformed to everyone else's image. Don't just try to fit in with everybody else. But be transformed. Allow that new nature within you to burst forth. Allow it to come out. Be metamorphosized. Be who God has made you to be. This is one area that the scripture talks about. It Be metamorphosized, transformed by the renewing of our mind. Oh, he told us in the book of Philippians to renew our mind. To let this mind be in you which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who being in the very form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He tells us what the mind of Christ is. You want to be renewed by your mind? You have the mind of Christ. What's the mind of Christ? If any would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The renewing of the mind. The pouring out of that inner nature that others might see. Listen, the scripture has a, another area I want you to turn to quickly. We just turn to our right a few more. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We come to 2 Corinthians chapter 3.
beginning of verse 18. And here's what Paul had to say. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, metamorphosized, changed from the inside out into that same image from the glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. He says, listen, this is what's occurring in you. The same thing that Jesus showed his disciples. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he begins that work in you. And the scripture says if he begins that work, he is faithful and just to complete it. Not going to just leave you part done. You're not just going to stay in a cocoon. But sooner or later, the cocoon's going to fall away and you're going to be able to spread your wings and fly. So I hold on to the promise for my future and it gives me hope for today. Not I hold on to the happiness I can get here if I got enough presents under the tree. I hold on to the promise for my future, the future that Jesus Christ came to reveal to us. Now, when the disciples see this happen with Jesus, they see the transfiguration, they see this metamorphosis, that inner nature come forward, and they see the the glory of Almighty God shining all around them. It says that, Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them and were talking with him. They were talking with Christ. The Gospel of Luke tells us they were talking about his impending death. That's what Jesus was talking with Moses and Elijah over. He's talking to them about the crucifixion. That which is yet on the horizon, they they see it looming closer and closer. I've always wondered this. How did the disciples know it was Moses and Elijah? Moses lived 1,500 years before them. They didn't have yearbooks back then. They're not going over to this stone chisel. Oh, yeah, that's Moses. Some people say, we really don't know. Some people say maybe Moses was still holding the tablets. And so they recognize it. As, There's Moses. He, Moses throughout Scripture represents the law. And Elijah represents the prophets. And the law and the prophets represent all of the revelation of God to mankind. So you have there with Jesus Christ all the revelation of God to mankind. You know, that... That kind of reminds me of something else the Bible says. Well, yeah, it says in the book of Hebrews. In fact, if you, if you flip there, you can, but I'll beat you. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. He has in these last days spoken. That word for spoken means he's Finished talking in his son. Here you have Jesus transfigured. The flesh pulled away. Very God revealed to the people. And they see Moses and Elijah summing up the totality of God's revelation to man. There with Jesus Christ. And here's Jesus whom God would say, listen to him. Listen to him. It's in, everything's in him. What's it, what did he say? You search the scriptures daily for in them. You find life, but it is these that speak of me, Jesus said. The scriptures, the word of God is about God the word. Jesus Christ. Man, it's, it's revealed in him. They see it in him. And so here he is with Moses and Elijah. But then, I was thinking, 
There's even a, another a really cool concept that we see in this. Not just the law and the prophets and the totality of God's revelation to man wrapped up in Jesus. But you have, standing with Him, an example of all believers from the beginning of time until the end of time. Well, they're divided into two groups. Those who have died and those who were raptured. What do you mean? Well, Moses died. God buried him. But you remember the story of Elijah, right? Elijah, he was walking with the Lord and he told Elisha, listen, if you want a double mantle, a double portion of the Spirit poured out in your life, you're going to have to see me when God takes me to heaven. We know that angels swooped down with a chariot of fire and they scooped up Elijah and took him to heaven. He didn't die. We call that a rapture. Moses died. Elijah didn't. Hey, I'm not trying to make too much of it. I'm just saying it's kind of neat. It's kind of neat to see that in the scripture, to see that, that kind of a picture unfurl, to see there we have Moses and Elijah, the totality of God's revelation, standing with him, one who died and one who didn't. Then Peter begins to speak. Have you ever said something when you wish you'd have been quiet? That's a common, that's a common deal with Peter. That's a common deal with Peter. Occasionally, it's a common deal with me. Uh, once you say it, you know you can't suck the words back in, right? Oop, that didn't sound so good. Yeah, I found out exactly how many people have twisted minds at church. What do you mean? Well, the other day I was talking about I was a loser. You guys remember the story? I know you know what I'm going to say. I was a loser. You know, Kathy was a cheerleader. Oh, yeah. And I said, and, and hey, it turned out good for me. I scored on the cheerleader. And everybody went, what did he just say? <laughs> Surely that's not what he meant. He, me- he meant I married her. <laughs> Man, all I meant was I got to date her. Relax. I know I'm in trouble when on the way home, Kathy goes, do you know what you said at church today? (laughs) No, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And then I got a couple of phone calls. Do you know what you said at church today? (laughs) Oh, well. Sometimes we say things come out not necessarily how we mean them or how we want them to, to be. But the Bible tells in Luke about this very story. It says... That Peter began to speak not knowing what he was saying. (laughs) Hey, it happens. I know some of you do it too. (laughs) Listen, here's what he says. He says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He says, it's quiet and somebody needs to talk. So he begins to talk. I hate when I do that. Not knowing what he was saying. What's he doing? He's putting Jesus, Moses, and Elijah on equal footing. 
The good news for us is that the very next verse says, while he was still speaking. So he didn't even get to get the words out. He's in the process of saying those things. And God says, in essence, shh, listen to him. Peter, stop talking. And listen to my son. Look what he says. He says, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. That's called the Shekinah. The Shekinah glory of God. That's the cloud that led the children of Israel. Remember? The cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. This is the cloud. The very cloud he's talking about. The bright cloud overshadowed them. The Shekinah. The glory of God. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Peter. Shh. Jesus is talking. Be quiet. Listen. There's a couple things God says here. One, this is my beloved son. It means this is the son of my love. This intense, incredible love that the father has for the son. And then he says another phrase. In whom I am well pleased. Man, the greatest desire of my life is to be able to hear Jesus say, Well done, good and faithful servant. And, and to try to find somewhere between now and eternity the day that I can look back on and say, man, I please the Lord today. The Bible says Jesus only said the things that pleased the Father. He only did the things that pleased the Father. His whole focus was upon the Father and glorifying Him and living His life as an example to you and I. What does it look like? To pour out your life on God. Jesus came and he showed us. He showed us that examples. He poured out his life with the Father. Hear him, he said. And when the disciples heard it, the only response to being in the presence of Almighty God is not, hey, Lord, how you doing? That's not it. It's one response throughout the Scripture. When you are in the presence of the glory and the majesty of Almighty God and He speaks, you go down. They were on their faces before the Lord. You know that that phrase that they fell on their faces? That's the word for worship in Hebrew. Shakah, to bow down, to prostrate oneself, to worship. Soon as God began to speak, bam, their face, they're on the ground. They're not talking. They're not dancing. They're not doing a bunch of weirdness. They're not doing any of that stuff. What are they doing? On their face before the Lord. On their face, straight before God. Straight there before Him. And then it says they were terrified. That's the word. Terrified. Greatly afraid. Peter's thinking, why was I talking? Why was I talking? That's what's going through his mind. He's laying there on the ground. Why did I say anything? I made God mad. He told me to shut up and be quiet. And he's sitting there and he's afraid. He's scared. He's scared because he knows something about the righteous judgment of God. That righteous judgment of God that lined up all the children of Israel in chains because of their disobedience. The righteous judgment of God. And it terrified him. And he's on the ground and he's terrified in that place. And you know what happened next? I love this. Jesus came and touched him. 
The Bible says one day we're going to stand before the presence of, of Almighty God. To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. I'm not talking about the great white throne judgment. That's a judgment for unbelievers. That when we die, we'll see the Lord. And when we see the Lord, <clears throat> I don't know if there'll be a, 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 a moment where we're, we're kind of freaking out about, well, here I am standing before Almighty God. But I know if there is any moment like that, if there is any kind of concern that immediately Jesus Christ is right beside us with his hand on us, introducing us to the Father. Because he's the one who clothes me in his righteousness, just like he did for Peter. And he'd come over and he'd put his hand on the disciples and he'd say, hey, don't be afraid. That's Dad. The only one who can do that is the Son. He comes and he puts his hand on them and he tells them, listen, arise and do not be afraid. Arise. I love that. Man, he puts his hand on them, arise. Don't be afraid. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 that Jesus presents the church without spot and blemish. That means when you stand before God, Jesus is not going to say, yeah, Lord, this is Jack. You know, he barely made it here. You won't believe what he said in church one time. (laughs) He's not going to say that. He's going to present me to the Father without spot and blemish. That means we are, as Paul said, just men made perfect in Christ. Perfect in Him. You, me, in Christ, perfect. So I I, I don't... I don't have to be afraid because I'm clothed in, in, the, in the righteousness of the Son. But at the same time, it's an incredible thing to, to stand before the living God. Wow, it's a, it's a mind-blowing concept. Here they are, here they are. They're on the ground and, and Jesus comes over and He touches them and, and He lifts them up. And then it says, and when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. They picked up their eyes and it was all done. It's just Jesus standing there. Yeah, man, because it's all wrapped up in Him. It is all wrapped up in Jesus. And if He is not the reason for every season, then drop the season. You don't need it. He should be the reason of every season. He's the, the culmination of it all. What do we do? Why do we, why do we gather for Christmas? Why do we want to have family time? Because God the Father gave the greatest gift ever given in His Son who came to be put on a tree for us. So I'm going to celebrate Christmas. And I'm going to do it like Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. Did you know Jesus celebrated Hanukkah? John chapter 8, the festival of lights, that's Hanukkah. Jesus was there at the Festival of Lights and they're doing all their stuff for Hanukkah and Jesus came over and as the lights were dimming and as the lights were burning out, Jesus stood up before the multitude and said, I am the light of the world. What did he just do? He used their Festival of Lights to proclaim himself. What do I do with Christmas? I use Christmas to proclaim Jesus Christ. Great opportunity. And I'm not going to miss one. I'm going to take every opportunity I get. Because when I lift my eyes up at all the craziness of life, you know what? There is nothing but Jesus. Just Him.
just him. In his glory and in his majesty, they saw no one but Jesus. And then as they're coming down the mountain, Jesus looks over and he says, Now tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Don't say this. Don't, don't talk about this. Why? Well, people are looking for the king, and this is not the king. This is a suffering servant. You guys are misinterpreting scripture and trying to put the cart before the horse. And let me tell you, the suffering servant has to come first. Otherwise, there cannot be the return of the king. So his suffering servant comes, and he pays the price. But it says, as soon as I am risen from the dead, you tell him. You tell him all. The truth. Of who I said I was. And his disciples are kind of blown away. And they say, well, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Now, keep in mind, who had the disciples just seen? They just saw Jesus with Moses and Elijah. They saw Jesus with Moses and Elijah. Jesus is saying, this is a fulfillment. The suffering servant has come. And they're saying, well, how can all this happen? We don't understand how do you set up your kingdom. How does all this happen? The, the, the scribes tell us, the preachers, they say that, that Elijah has to come first. So Jesus answers their question. So Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first. But he goes on. He will restore all things. The scripture in Malachi says that Elijah will come before the great and terrible day of the Lord, before that day of judgment, before we enter into that time when God pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. Elijah will come to usher in a great repentance. He's going to call the nation of Israel to faith. Every time the, a, a Jew sits down and, and has Passover, you know he has an empty seat for Elijah. And before the service is over, he sends the youngest of his family over to the door to open the door and see if Elijah is there. Because they're longing for that deliverance. And so one day Elijah's going to come. One day. One of the two witnesses in the book of Revelation is Elijah. He's going to come to set the, the minds of the people to make that call for repentance. Listen, just like John the Baptist did. But then he goes on in verse 12. But I say to you that Elijah has come already. And they did not know him. But they did to him whatever they wished. And likewise, the Son of Man is about to suffer in their hands. And the disciples understood that he spoke to them, John the Baptist. Jesus said, if you can handle it, John the Baptist was the coming of Elijah. He came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. But he also said, Elijah is coming. John the Baptist said he was the forerunner. He announced, he called the people to repentance, just like Elijah did in the Old Testament, just like Elijah will yet. Calling the people to repentance. Calling the people to see the risen Christ. Calling the people to see the truth of their Messiah. Listen, this whole section of Scripture is talking about the, the disappointments we, we might have in our view of what we think things ought to go like, but learning to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And for even those guys who are learning to put their faith and trust, Jesus, after they made their confession of faith, he revealed himself to them. He pulled back the flesh, and he, they saw him as he was. They were, saw a little glimpse of the future. And so they held on to the promise for their future, and it gave them hope for today. Change their lives forever. And it'll change yours too. Forever. And we come to that same place where we put our faith and trust in Him. Amen?
Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for this time we can come before you. God, we thank you for an opportunity to open your word. We thank you for an opportunity for your spirit to just instruct us and guide us and lead us according to your word. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would have hearts prepared to receive the seed, God, that you cast today. Lord, that it would be fertile ground, Lord, not hardened ground, not filled with weeds, God, that we want to receive the word of your truth, the seed of the word. Father, we want to receive it with gladness. We want to allow you to do your perfect work in us as you metamorphosize us, as you change us from the inside out. We look forward to the day when the cocoon is cast off, when this corruptible puts on incorruption. We look forward to that. God, help us to hold on to your promises for our future and may they give us hope for today may they help us in the place we find ourselves now as maybe we struggle with understanding lord but we know god we know the truth of your word may we just hold fast to the rock may we just trust you implicitly because you said you know what you're doing and it's good and not easy And I will have a future, so I have hope. Oh, Lord, love your word is so alive, is so vibrant, is so true. God, I pray if there's anybody here this morning doesn't know you, struggling with an understanding, wants wants to enter into a relationship with you. Father, they don't walk out the door. We'll have prayer counselors, opportunity. Lord, I just pray, God, that they would make that confession of faith. It's so simple. Lord, I believe. God, I just pray that you would do a work in our lives, Lord, as we look to you in this time for you to pour out your spirit upon us, Lord God, that we might accomplish your perfect will for this town, that we might reach the hurting, that we might be able to help people who have a need and that we realize when we do it all, we're not doing it for us. We're doing it in Jesus' name as I pour out my life to him. God, I pray that you would move among us. Drive us, Lord Jesus, to the cross. Drive us to the love of God that compels me to do the things that you're calling me to do. God, I pray that you would move in this place, Lord, and that our eyes would be turned toward you and you would do a perfect work. As we lift this time to you now, we just ask your blessing to be on it. In Jesus' name, amen.